Welcome to the Board of Education, where troublemakers and system breakers gather to discuss how they are dismantling inequity in public education. Calling our meeting to order is Chairman of the Board, Jonathan Santos Silva. Word, word. Um, man, I am so excited to be sharing this guest with you, Doc, and with everyone. Um, everyone on the Board of Ed. Um, Anishé, teach them right, um, is a wife and a mother, national award-winning educator, speaker, writer. And on top of all of that, she is the CEO and founder of what I think might be the best name in all of education, entrepreneurship, disruptive partners in education. Yes, yes. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. I do. And, and listen, I, full transparency, I, I've known Anishé for years as well. And the word treat does not begin to cover what we're in for. Uh, I cannot wait to hear her just spill all of the knowledge uh, on, on this conversation. I'm so excited. Yeah, and I think what's so important, why I'm so excited that she is our first guest is, you know, episode one, we in introduce all of um, our board members with some responses to this question, right? Like 20 years mm -hmm. from now, we look back on COVID um, as the pivot point for transformation. What are we going to see? And she inspired that question. So yes. like to start with, I mean, to, to start anywhere else would be unjust. So really excited to introduce everyone to Anishé. I think the, the overarching question for me is always, what can I learn or glean from a situation, right? Um, you know, what is the blessing and the curse in a situation, right? And I'll be honest with you, in thinking about it, um, it's kind of like I had personified COVID-19, right? And I kept asking myself, like, there, like, there's a bigger message we should be getting, right? And single-handedly, COVID-19 managed to do, in a matter of days or weeks, what we haven't been able to do since the inception of our public educational system. And I think that was like, you know, if COVID-19 were a person, what could I learn from them, right? And so it was this love, hate, and this disdain. I, it first started with COVID-19, right? It was like, I hate you, but I respect you. Um, I feel like COVID-19, coronavirus, just the pandemic in general, showed us what happens when somebody, something is relentless in its pursuit to whatever that destination is, right? And so we have air reformers and we talk about reforming this and that. And I always tell people, you know, I, I have a, a cute little doggy, right? My dog goes out and poop. And if I reshape the poop into a bowl, into a cup or whatever I shape it into, it's still shit. You know, and so I feel like that is the story of our educational system. We try to, uh, you know, there's charters and there's no child left behind. There's this and that. Like we've spent billions, you know, probably damn near trillions of dollars in reshaping poop, you know, reshaping a system that was never designed for the vast majority of people. You know, the system was, was never designed for everybody, right? Like, let's be real. And this virus has managed to single-handedly eradicate testing. It has managed to single-handedly eradicate, eradicate teacher evaluations. It has flipped on our head. You know, just three, six months ago, kids are getting written up for bringing cell phones to school. But now it's a hot commodity. Um, and it's just like, my, 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 how we quickly change when we're forced to. You know, that, and that's really, I think, why your post so deeply resonated with me because my cousin had posted um, a really thought-provoking set of, you know, 
points about life as we knew it prior to the COVID-19 outbreak that we accepted and never questioned. And so some of the things he talked about in the post were like, you know, we, we always accepted that an unlimited data plan, they would throttle our data and slow our data. We accepted that high stakes testing is a requirement yeah. in education. And he hit all different industries. And so yeah. when I got to your post, I was like, wow, this, that, I mean, this, she's encapsulated that question, right? Like a lot of the things, putting it back into specifically the education realm, a lot of the things that we accepted and when we were quote unquote reforming, we were just kind of like nibbling around the edges. Yeah. COVID-19 came with a sledgehammer and blasted all of that. And so we have either, we can either go back to the status quo and, and, and pick up all right. these pieces and glue it back together. Yep. Or we can take this like the blessing with the curse and imagine a new education system. So like my question to you on that point is like, what are some things you, you would hope to see teachers considering or, or principals doing differently? Schools don't get a right to define that in isolation, right? You would have to engage the parent that's working at home X amount of hours with their kids playing in the background. You would have to ask the parent that has watched their child learn virtually and can't help but to wonder, like, is this the same stuff you're getting at school? You know, that my kid is able to finish in a minimal amount of time um, at the same time, there's that teacher that gets it. You know, there are, um, there are teachers who are still given test prep materials and there's no test assessment, right? You've been given the golden ticket to dream and think big. And I can't help but to wonder how the system has actually made people who were once innovative, creative thinkers, compliant, participants in the bigger system, right? Because that's how the system perpetuates itself, right? So, so, so that's my, my, my kind of roundabout answer. For me as a mother, I am very clear on what my expectations are and they haven't changed. I think COVID-19 gave me this, um, this outline and kind of served as a, a proof point of, of, what's, of what's possible when you are relentless in your pursuit of something bigger than you and when you are clear in your ask. Here's the, the parallel. COVID-19 does what? It attacks systems, right? The respiratory system, right? And so when you think about what it does and how it enters, it comes in and it multiplies and it does whatever it can to win. And um, I, I look at that and I'm like, man, what if we united in the same way that virus, you know, unites and, and takes over systems, uh, biological ones, but nevertheless systems, right? I think that's, that's it. It's like the sum of us, right? Like no, no school system gets the right to make the decision in isolation of me for my children. And that's about that, you as a mother, as right? a mother, mm -hmm. right? Because the power is in me helping you understand who my child is. Cause see, I follow my child through the K-12 experience, right? A teacher is but for one year, I'm the constant, right? And I know the dollars follow the child. So I think number one, districts definitely have to make sure that they start elevating the role and putting some respect on the role of a parent, right? Hmm. And elevating that role from a mere stakeholder that happens to get information secondhand to actually shareholders at the table. Because we have the biggest investment in the system, which is our children.
and our children's future. I mean, that's a big shift from how schools normally operate. Don't you think, Doc? For sure, right? Like it, it, parents are definitely historically a, a bystander in what is arguably the most critical part of their child's life, their, their initial education. Right. That's why I love it when she says, you know, schools need to put some respect on the role of a parent, right? We've, mm-hmm. I think we've gotten along for far too long with um, parent engagement as a nice to have. Um, and then oftentimes, oftentimes we masquerade, we're going to inform you on what we're doing and we want your tacit agreement as we've engaged the parents. And so this idea of actually um, placing that role as, uh, or, or like valuing it as something of significance as a true partner mm-hmm. and maybe even the leader, you know, or the guide for a student's educational journey um, is a big time shift. And it's, in a dis- it's a disruption to business as usual, right? And I think that's, that's why what she, t- she goes into next, you know, we're talking just now about a disruption in business as usual or in the system. And now she starts talking about disruption as individuals. I think the first step is to self-disrupt. Um, the first step is really not about the schools, it's about everybody pausing and to get clear, like to disrupt their thinking on what they thought this whole excellence thing was supposed to look like um, versus our new normal, right? So first you got to disrupt your thinking. You have to understand, like you got to understand the system at a high level. I think then parents need a space to go through an experience to deepen, to determine what excellence looks like individually for their child, right? Because I mean, that's what we haven't done. There's professional learning for teachers. There's professional learning for leaders. But who actually puts parents in this space so they actually understand what their options are and actually get clear on what the bigger picture is, right? And how that impacts them financially. Like this plays a role in how kids show up or are impacted by every major system which are all oppressive for diverse racially and economically diverse groups of people so the first step is like disrupt yourself right like for example let's look at some of these school discipline policies right if you know these uniform compliance things right if a kid goes to school and doesn't have their uniform does suspending them or putting them in in school suspension with a non-certified teacher increase learning Hmm. like let's pause there so people are like well you know kids come in these uniforms and it's okay great right great but it's a public case we public institution kids come to school say a kid doesn't have the uniform right prepare for that because that's going to happen and nobody's perfect maybe you should like if you're going to put kids out and if you're that hell-bent on doing it right like put them in a situation where there's a certified teacher and they still can learn i mean you know like if you want to spin your wheels doing that whatever but my point is does it lead to the acquisition of new knowledge new learning i think it's a crap load of situations like that right where kids are getting pushed out of school 5.8 million between the ages of 16 to 21 are disconnected from work and school and the vast majority of those cases are because they were more likely to to get in trouble or get pushed into prison coming to school than if they had to just stay at home, mm. right? So school plays a major portion in that. Um, I think the other part is um, 
you know, you have to determine what excellent looks like for your child and then come into community with people to find out where there's overlap and synergy. So parents have not been given the space and grace to deeply understand the system in a way that allows them to make well-informed decisions. You'll get parents, yeah, testing, like they're going along with the flow, but they don't have a true picture of what the implications are beyond K-12. And then I think finally, once you disrupt your thinking, once you deepen your understanding, um, you begin to determine and define what an excellent experience looks like to you. You come in community collectively with people and you demand it. You demand with purpose. And I think that is it. those are the key components of what it means to be an educational shareholder. Um, people have a clear ask. You know, people kind of have a destination and they know where they want to go. So that, that's what I would say. Yeah. Now, is this, this I mean, that sounds like uh, totally a revolution in terms of family engagement. I didn't right? say like, revolution. I just said, No, you know, I know. But I mean, like, as far as like, you know, but is it a revolution? About? Is it only a revolution for oppressed people? Because last time I checked, that's what CEOs do. People in power do that all the time. Yeah. No, it's people, true. Most people in power know the system that they're playing with. Right. No, what I mean, what I mean, when I say revolution, I mean that in the best of ways. I get it. Well, you know, like um, schools want parents to be passive. They want them to show up. They want them to make sure work gets done. And this idea of parents not only developing, you know, disrupting their own knowledge or their thinking, deepening their understanding, and then coming together in community to demand, to define and then demand. This is a whole nother level of engagement. This is like, this but is- no, like, I'm, I'm gonna pause you here. This is a great conversation. It's not. It's what affluent white moms do all the time. That's how they get charters. True, true. It but I mean, it's, it it's, yeah, and it's, to but I mean, it's, it's totally new for the folks that maybe we, we are we're serving in low-income schools where, where we are warehousing largely black and brown kids we say we want engagement but we want passivity we want oh yeah. we want approval this idea that parents would assemble in a body to be able to demand right. and hold someone accountable is revolutionary I, well, I, I like it because i mean it's the same to your point it's a true relationship there's an exchange it's not a it's not a one-way indoctrination now. Now it's the school has its marching orders, so to speak, and someone is going to follow up, meaning the parents to say, you either have done or have not done what we asked you. And so here's the next step. You know, I like this idea. It's what shareholders do. It's right. not a revolution. It's right. what, a, when, you, when you own a vested interest in an entity, <laughs> there are quarterly updates. You are a decision maker. You know, it's not a revolution unless you're poor or powerless. It's what people do every single day. And how do I know? Because when I began to work in white spaces, I got it. Mm. And so what I had always been taught to do was to navigate a space, right? That, that's like landmines, right? Like navigate it. I'm not navigating anything because I'm no one's slave. I'm not enslaved mentally to establishments. What I will do is learn the rules of engagement and make them work for me. Hmm. Any strategist in the military, any strategist knows, learn the rules of engagement. And so that's what I'm saying is like, people make it seem like, because we have to be careful about use of the word revolution, because it's only a revolution when you are oppressed. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if Anashe would like this doc, but I, she just comes across as like the, 
the dirty South Sun Tzu, right? Like this is her art of war, right? Like the rules of engagement, knowing your opposition, you know, getting an, um, an understanding of the ground on which you're fighting. Um, and I know she, she, she kind of called out that she didn't like rev the word revolution, but I love it. And I feel like that's exactly yeah. what she's calling for. Well, I, I think there's a, a power in harnessing the words, right? And, and, and framing the understanding that when we talk about revolution, it starts from a place of oppression. Right. I don't know so much that you guys agreed to disagree as we, we broadened the scope of what we're looking at. Right. right? We, we have to look at beyond just revolution, mm. uh, though that is a part of it. Yeah. And what I love about it is like, you know, that's my homie. That's my sister. Like in, in every sense, like we claim each other in that way. And we know that at the heart, we are on the same page. You know, we can go back and forth about the, the specific tactics, the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I know we're back to back fighting for kids, right? Mm -hmm. I got her back. She's got mine. And I think yeah. that's what we need. Absolutely. Know? I mean, it, it, what, in what other field in the world is, is the true goal more, more common across every player in the field or, or should be, right? In terms of education, we all are dedicated to making sure that every child gets the education that they need to live up to the aspirations that they have for themselves, right? So, so it's fine for us to disagree on, on how we get there but I think we all have that goal in, in focus. Right. Right. I think, I mean, there may be players who don't share that, but once True. it becomes apparent, you know, folks are folks like Anishé, like you, like mm -hmm. we're going to be like calling people out. Yeah. So you don't care about these kids. You need to go find another profession. And it, yeah. Yep. And that's, that is so true. That's one of the assets I think that we have. And I think that's where she goes next. I used to be, I, I was I was so angry with white people, right? I was like, man, white people this, white people that, X, Y, Z. And I had to disrupt my own thinking, right? Like, see, again, disruption doesn't just stop. It's a lifelong, every day you die to yourself and you rise into humanity. You rise into what is right, what is just, what is good, and perfectly imperfect, right? That, that's, that's my life's work. So for me, I was going around angry and I had to like pause and say, man, you know, it was one day, I, I think I was talking to, you know, a person, a white, you know, a, a, someone who shifted from being an ally, because that's not my thing, to a co-conspirator. And what shifted this person for me was when they asked a simple question, what can I do, right? What, like, what can I do, right? And I had to check myself because I used to be one of those people where we'd be in this, like, D, like I said, people going D-I-E trying to do DEI, right? So again, this is a part of that part where I say deepen your understanding and disrupt. And I was that person who, you know, like white tears, you know, like all of that, like I was that person and, you know, and it got to a point, I was like, well, no, Anishay, you have to handle people accordingly to, to their humanity, right? And so when that person asked me, like, what can I do? I used to be pissed. I'm like, y'all always trying to solve problems. I'm like, Bonashe, stop yourself now. You just was pissed off because they didn't say anything, right? Now you're right. pissed off because they saying something and it's the wrong thing. Like, Anishay, what do you want? And that's when I said, get clear on your ask. Like, you got to get clear on what you do want. You got to focus on the promise and not the problem. So once I shifted my thinking in that, I'm like, oh, crap. My white co-conspirators, when I say I rock with them, I rock with them. 
number one, the biggest headline is everybody has to embrace the dimensions of the, who this the heck you are. If you are a white male with privilege, step in, like you have that, right? And there's nothing you can do to take it away. You didn't earn it, you can't release it, right? What you can do is work with an honest shade who will never speak white people. I don't, what, I, you know, I ain't growing, like, grow up in privilege with white people. I don't, every day I don't go home <laughs> and talk about the issues that are indigenous to that culture or community of people. But what my co-conspirators do, I say, hey, there's a grant coming up. There's some things I want to do for my community in partnership, in partnership with my community, not for. Um, and my co-conspirators say, oh, well, let me see your presentation. Oh, no, this is not going to work. This is what they want to hear. Hmm. that's leveraging your power and your positionality to set me up to do what I need to do in partnership with my people. I don't need you to go with me to the presentation. You can coach me off stage. You can tell me what they want to hear because I will never know the conversations that this culture of people have at dinner, right? Because likely if I'm in the room, you're not going to have it. And, and, and that's what, so that's what disruptive partners in education is all about. And that's, that's how we move this forward. Step one, convene, People who have done the work of owning the power, positionality, privilege, whoever the hell you are, white, purple, yellow, green. If you know you got a gift, talent, or skill that is good for the collective of humanity, bring it to the table. And that's what disruptive partners do. We bring our collective strengths to the table, number one. Number two, we are relentless, just like COVID-19, in our pursuit of understanding what do you want for your child? Okay, you don't have the language for it. Let me like sync with you. Let me let's let's connect. Here's here's what you currently have, right? Taking them through a process and experience where they understand the current state, and then they dream big to the ideal state. Then the next step is bringing like the same group back, like bringing it back until you get clear on your ass. It will never be perfect, but it will be yours. And don't stop until you get it. Hmm. And when you get it. Let's now go back and see what are those milestones and metrics so that when things are going well, we elevate and we salute you, school system. We salute you when you are honoring what we have asked for our kids. But when you're not, we are going to ask tough questions. Right? Because the superintendent can't manage it by themselves. Like, we're trying to get people, like, you can't, everybody, like, everybody needs support. So let me develop a partnership with my son's teacher. The way it looks, I'll tell you another way it looks. My son has a 504. Now, he's also identified gifted, but he has a 504, which is like in the family of uh, IEPs, students with disability, but it's a different, it's not as powerful as IEP, for lack of a better word. But when it's time for us to convene about that, we, my son's teachers, I, I love them. We come to the table, I bring some donuts, some coffee, and we just talk. And they'll say something, and I'll say, well, actually, no, that's not how we do it at home, right? Like, that's not, he, that's not the best way for him to learn. And because he has this 504, like, you have to accommodate his learning. And so that's what it is. Parents have IEPs. The vast majority of Black boys are labeled as students with disability. And so as a people, we are quick to run and say, uh-uh, I don't want that label. No, you don't want that label, but that piece of paper is what allows you to demand an individualized educational plan for your child. Leverage it. And so the, the only person that could hold the school accountable would be the parent. <laughs> like that's like, it, you know. So if they ain't doing it, who is? That's that's my question. Right. Now imagine we have some folks listening that are in that are in the seat, so to speak. Right? They're teachers or principals. Let's focus on those two levels. Sure. Um, and and they're and they're in the they're listening and they're saying, 
what can I do? Can you give maybe one piece of concrete advice for, for one or both of those groups, what they can do as they're looking ahead to like planning for 2020, 2021 school year and the yeah. idea that we may or may not be virtual still, we may be preparing for a second wave, but how can they operate differently moving forward with all we're, we're learning from your perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Step one, there needs to be an intentional effort to have parents, to have teachers reach out to every parent that they're responsible to. That's the first thing, right? Have you required, have you set your teachers up with a script for reaching out to every parent to get clear on what types of technology they have access to? We should be guessing. There should be a district-wide database to understand that confirms that every teacher reached out and we have a very clear understanding of what kids do and don't. Like to me, we should like, that's number one, right? So get clear on the things that are ambiguous, right? That matter the most. If it's going to be a second wave, get clear on your technology issues. Number two, how are you utilizing your coaches to understand what teachers need to feel supported? So that's the next thing, right? You have your leaders, then your instructional leaders, right? Comprehensively what teachers need, right? Do they need therapy, right? Like, do they, you know, they are, they got kids at home too, and they're supposed to be teaching other people kids, right? Do they need support with technology? So number one, again, is principals. Um, require your teachers to engage with families in ways that they haven't before and be intentional. It is not a nice to do. It is a non-negotiable. You cannot support a kid learning virtually at home if you don't know what they need virtually at home, period. Number two, your instructional leaders get clear, clear on the comprehensive needs and differentiate your professional learning support. Teachers, be critical thinkers and prioritize the humanity of every child. You don't, certain things you just don't have to wait for. There's not an administrator in your classroom every day telling you every move to make. And there's not an administrator that's gonna be in your house every day telling you every move to make. If your child was in this situation, what would they need? The first thing they need is to know their teacher care about them. So call. The second thing they need to know is that the teacher has thought about ways to engage them differently. Reading aloud to peers, right? Um, topics that actually empower kids during this time so that this pandemic becomes relevant to their learning. So those are the, the entry points I would say that are very low hanging fruit type things that we can have resolved in the next two weeks. You know, Doc, that's, and that's why she's on the board, right? Yes. I mean, what is important about our board and what differentiates us from most actual and paneled school boards is that we're not- Other than just, just the spelling. Other than the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> Is like we're not just here for the talk, right? We're not just here for uh, to 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 show in the minutes that we were here, mm -hmm. right? Like she left us with some actionable things. You know what she's talking about seems so simple, but you realize that it is often treated as a privilege to engage in real world learning. When I go to independent schools, they do it. You go to college, you do it. But it's like if you're in a traditional public school, and everyday urban or rural America to do a class like pandemics and politics is never going to happen. happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And so like, those are the things that right now, as we're looking at summer planning, we're looking at back to school training for teachers, the first week or two of, of preparation. Those are the type of things that you can take on. How am I going to revitalize this first unit to make yeah. it real for my kids? And that's just one thing she said. I have to say, I'm, I'm honored to know Anna Shea Wright um, as a friend and a colleague. 
I'm even more honored to hear her voice uh, on on this show. That's that's why we started this together. Is this is a place for those really important, brilliant voices like Anna Shea to turn up the volume and have people listen. So it was just an honor to to be a part of your conversation. Man, I mean, and I want to just echo that. Like Anna Shea, teach them right, yeah. is the disruptive partner you know, to, to, to riff on her yeah. title, she is the disruptive partner that schools and, 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 and districts need to talk to. So I yeah, totally encourage you sure. to check out disruptive partners in education because her voice is powerful, but the work she does is transformational. Yeah. And for more information on Anna Shea and to get to know her yourself, you can check out our website, theboardofed.com. That's the B-O-R-E-D of ed.com. Uh, also check us out on at the board of ed on Twitter and at the underscore board of ed on Instagram. Um, our next episode, we got another brilliant voice, Kyle Quadros. That's right. Kyle Quad Quadros and I, um, we were school leaders in the same um, charter network. Um, he's a phenomenal school leader and he has parlayed all the things that he learned both in the classroom as a special leader and a special educator. And then as a school leader uh, into co-founding TLO. T-I-L-O. It is a trauma-informed learning organization that does training and support with schools and aspires to run its own, uh, almost like a lab school. And so I'm really excited to talk to him because he's going to get into uh, brain, the brain and brain development and how this is impacting both our kids and our teachers and what we can do differently to support them. Sounded like he was in your brain for just a second there. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we go, I, I did want to leave uh, everybody was something special. Um, I, I was privileged to get to, to uh, be a part of this conversation, but at the end of the conversation that you had with Anna there was a very special moment that I, we ha I think we have to share. Uh, Anna daughter came in and um, she shared something special with us. So let's hear Anna and her daughter uh, connect as we leave you from the board of ed and we remind you stay bored you say hello hello do you say hello. oh ancestors can you say a little bit of that for me i would love to hear it, it. would help he would be able I to help a lot of people during coronavirus if you could help him. i have he never would. heard this this would be beautiful you say it and i repeat oh ancestors oh ancestors blacker than the sky at midnight brighter than the noonday sun and all the beautiful shades of Africa in between. Field hands. House servants. Factory workers. Teachers. Creatures. Freedom fighters. Those who resisted in silence. Those who resisted out loud. Those whose bones are in the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Those who chose to survive. Greater than the priest warriors and mystic sciences. Give us the inspiration to fight a thousand lions. Give us the enlightenment to travel the mysteries of the universe. Give the sustenance to distract the swarms of disharmony. Give us the sustenance to distract the swarms of disharmony. Praise in your black African names. Praise be your black African names. Help us in our time of need. Help us in our time of need. Umoja. Umoja. Now call on national ancestors. Now call on your national ancestors. Ella Baker. Marcus Garvey. Grandma Brenda. Grandma Brenda. 
Ashe. Ashe. Harriet Tubman. Ida B. Wells. Ida B. Wells. Ashe. Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey. Ashe. Kwame Nkrumah. Kwame Nkrumah. Ashe. Those who back to you want to say Ashe. 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 Thank you, baby. <laughs>